0: Uh, This is, um, my name is Minister Rinaldo Watkins and I'm coming on this medium to, uh, as I've said before, to see how this whole podcast thing works. Um, I have certainly some thoughts, some ideas I would like to share with you who are listening. Um, My first presentation would be to my Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, Let's suppose that Jesus was here with us where we could all see and feel him. Let us further suppose that he had a Facebook account. What do you think the Christ of God would post? Would he spend time posting videos of deacons or members getting happy and shouting in a church service? Or perhaps he'd post a five to ten minute presentation of the next preaching wonder? Suppose Jesus was here where we could hear and feel him. What kind of ministry do you think he would build? Do you think he would be concerned with um, a massing, a hundred voice choir that only sung inside the church? Or perhaps his attention would be in preaching in the most colorful and flamboyant robe he can find? perhaps the urgency of his ministry, would center on raising enough capital to erect a crystal cathedral so that God would not bring his life to a sudden end, as others have said. Would the expected benefit of his ministry center around wearing expensive furs, or driving a luxurious car, or even living in the lap of opulence? Or would he understand that money is simply a tool to be used to further the advancement of the gospel? And not the end-all that chokes and kills many. Hmm. Would he act as a coward by holding his iPhone or Android up while two sisters beat themselves into shame? or would he intervene as a man to stop them would he add to the demoralizing behavior of others shown on his facebook page or be a conduit to post life changing and positive things these are questions that i'm asking if jesus was here in the flesh would his continuing theme be on prosperity or would his or would he redirect his listeners in another direction. What do you think? Do you suppose he would administrate his church solely on a business or as a business with the exclusion of the Holy Ghost? Or would there be room for God to freely move, heal, set free, and deliver throughout the service? A lot of questions, right? Would Jesus be more concerned with the push and appeal of his anniversary? Or would he rejoice greatly seeing a sinner turn their life back to God? Would Jesus solely preach on folks not paying their tithes? Lord. <laughs> or would he also teach his listeners on the benefits, virtues, and and disciplines of being a good steward. Would his desire in fleecing the flock, would that be his desire? Or would he teach, remind, and instruct his hearers on the powers they possess through his name? So far I've touched on some of the internal dynamics that take place within the four walls of the church. Now. Let me expand myself and take a look at where ministry is, or is not, outside the comfort of the church building. We are living in a day and time when anything goes, and everything is acceptable. However, for us as Christians, what would our stance and our actions be as it pertains to the many ills of this world? In addition to that... Should our sole response just be for us just to pray? In other words, in the face of all that is sinful and or wrong, should our only response be prayer? Let me be absolutely clear. I am a strong advocate for prayer, and I do believe that prayer changes things but is that the only response the Lord requires of us? When those who we pay to protect us, take a broomstick and shove it up the rectum of an unarmed man, should our sole response be prayer? When a male highway patrol officer Mounts a black woman on the ground and continuously hit her in her face with his fist. Should we just pray? When a 300 plus pound man is surrounded by half a dozen police officers, and one of them choke holds him to death. Should we only call for a prayer meeting? Hmm. I'm sure many of us simply shook our heads in disbelief and turned the channel. Okay, perhaps the stated examples I've given may have been a bit too radical for you. A friend of mine just called me. <laughs> he just called me radical. So instead, let me let us examine uh, for a few a few verses of scripture to see what the Bible has to say about the condition of the world. And more specifically, what our responses ought to be. In the Gospel of Luke 13 and 32, Jesus is quoted by saying, Go tell that fox. That's that's Luke 13 and 32. Go tell that fox. I found it interesting because the Pharisees came with a warning to run. They informed Jesus that Herod was after him and that his life was in danger. So rather than fleeing, Jesus responded by instructing the churchy Pharisees to go and tell Herod that the work of God will continue today and tomorrow. Nowhere in the exchange with the Pharisees did I read of Jesus backing down. Nowhere. The work of the gospel was going to continue regardless of what threatenings Herod displayed. Also keep in mind, when the state crossed over into the church, the church did not back down, but responded with action. I often wonder how we as Christians interpret the portion of Scripture found in Matthew 5 and 6. In the Beatitudes where Jesus was seated on the mountain, he gave a a beautiful sermon The onset of his sermon stated with, started with the phrase, blessed, right? He started with the word blessed. However, however, to what extent and how far do we go as Christians with the sixth verse? Does hungering and thirsting after righteousness mean abhorring wickedness and sin in its various manifestation? Is it only confined to the church? Or does it also manifest itself in societal conditions? And if so, what therefore should our stance and response be to the ills of the world? James tells us, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Well, if we draw nigh to God and God draws nigh to us, isn't something supposed to change within us? (laughs) If we are fire baptized and holy Ghost filled, aren't we supposed to be enraged by the byproducts of sin? In Matthew 21 and 13, when Jesus entered the synagogue and found the money changers conducting their craft in the temple, what did he do? Did he shake his head and turn uh, his TV channel to another station, or perhaps he reasoned within himself by saying that he did not want to get involved with the affairs of the world? No, instead he became angered, seeing the corruption taking place within the house of God. I know that the verse. Uh, I know that the verse Matthew. 21 and 13 is often taken out of context by many misinformed individuals. The verse is not banning, buying, or selling in church. Part of what took place in that time was corruption. In other words, when a traveler or citizen came into the temple to worship, they had to use what the temple provided as currency and offering. However, when money was exchanged, instead of the citizen or traveler receiving the same amount in the exchange that they gave, a significant portion was withheld by temple officials. So wherever or somewhere in the mix, the people were being robbed. That is why Jesus whipped folks out of the temple and exclaimed the words, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. In my observation of most Protestant churches, it is rare that I've heard any Christian leader, pastor, minister, or bishop preach and teach on the topic of Amos 5.18-24. through 24. From the 18th to the 24th verses, three focus events springs from the verses. The first is a warning to what the Wesley New King James Version describes as complacent pleasure lovers. In the top of the 18th verse, a warning is given to those who desire to see the day of the Lord, which from the onset seems a good thing. However, their lives was not in line with the will of the Lord, and while in sin, expected God to deliver them. Secondly, God rejected their offering, which may explain the third observance, the call Mm -hmm. for justice. In these critical times, when all kinds of decisions are being made, It becomes vital that the people of God hold fast to what is godly from what is not. All across the land, compromises between right and wrong continues to be the norm, even from those who are supposed to set godly examples. In addition, fear seems to hold the final word in many of the positions that Christian leaders are holding. Simply stated, Christian Lay people, or lay persons, and leadership must have the boldness to stand up as Peter and John stood up in the book of Acts. When threatened to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, these two men of God lifted up a spiritual question to their oppressors. Which is right? Quoting, To listen to you, or God? You be the judge. Acts 4, 1-22. through 22. These two men of God had the priest, captain of the temple, Sadducees, rulers, elders, scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Ciphas, John, Alexander, and many as were in the family of the most high priests gathered together at Jerusalem, warning them, yet they held... The ground. Throughout Brooklyn everywhere you turn you'd find churches in every corner of each neighborhood. The borough is known as the borough of churches. Many of these churches are enclosed by cast iron bars that tend to enclose and insulate the church building. However, not only are the buildings enclosed and insulated, But the minds and spirit of its leadership and parishioners are also enclosed and insulated. Was not the command given by Jesus to go into the vineyards? How is it that we claim power in our testimonies and yet act in fear? The word states, after this you shall receive power. Now here is a question: Power to do what? <laughs> power to do what? Where is this power shown in taking uh, teen pregnancy, or tackling, I should say, teen pregnancy, unemployment, discrimination, substandard house uh, housing, homelessness, political corruption, drug trafficking proliferation of firearms, hate groups, injustice, police brutality, voter suppression, etc. How is it that we can hoop and holler and even get slain in the spirit? (laughs) And yet when it comes to fighting for our rights and what's godly, our knees buckle. In the latter part of the ninth chapter of Matthew, Jesus had just healed a person who was blind and then addressed another who was mute and demon-possessed. From there, he continued healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Then the scripture states, But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then Jesus turned to his disciples, the church, and said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. I, I realized that after reading this article, some, or even hearing this podcast, some may take a defensive posture. I've also realized that I've directed um, these many questions towards my brothers and sisters in the faith. Yet I still struggle with a number of verses not because they seem contradictory to one another, nor because I question God. That's not my intent. To this writer, the Lord can never be at fault. Let me say that again. The Lord can never be at fault. I do question, however, how we as Christians position ourselves in today's society. I do question if we are following Biblical principles or whether we are conforming to the standards of the world. On the other side, I embrace the challenge to be a joint heir together with the Lord, even in His suffering. I do admire the psalmist's question, "What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits towards me?" I do believe that God calls us into partnership with Him. I do believe that salvation is not solely confined to oneself, but instead, is God designed to uh, and driven to reach abroad into the world to transform and say. And save souls. I do believe that God is able to leave the safety net of the church building and go into the muck and mire of society. I do believe that there should not be division between church and state. There should not be. And that the church is needed to regulate the state. The church is needed to regulate the state. One more time, the church is needed to regulate the state and its laws. I do believe that where there is no vision, the people perish. Or as someone, or as someone has as, uh, translated, where the voice of God is silent, the people run amok. You may have felt or stated to yourself that the problem, is, uh, problem of, of this world is too big. For you or anyone to handle, you may have even uh, uh, seen some images that perhaps cast a bit of fear uh, in your spirit. You have, you may have uh, agreed with some who have stated that one person can't change anything. Well, I'm here to let you know that one person can make a difference. The mere fact that you attend someone's church is a result of of one person. The mere fact That at least several times a year we pause to celebrate the death, burial, resurrection, communion, and birthday of the Christ of God as a result of one person. What you can do as an individual is to to become a, a committee of one. Surely you can become a committee of one by galvanizing your neighbors to take action by writing your Congress or Senate person. You can take the initiative by picking up your phone and voicing your opinion to your local or elective official. You can participate uh, in whichever progressive group uh, you are trying to bring some positive changes uh, in our people and neighborhood and community. You can write manufacturers and businesses and demand better food, jobs, education, policing, etc. Now, to the brothers and sisters who've taken the initiative in whatever way to bring about change in their environment, I say, God bless you. God bless you for being courageous and coping, coupling, coupling your faith with action, combining your faith with action. Bless you for going beyond the churchiness that many exhibit and practice in churches today, and for being broad enough to see the importance of addressing some of the wrongs in our society. When Jesus stated, the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few, it was not merely a statement meant for his error only. The world is in a chaotic and turmoil state, And it therefore becomes imperative that we understand the urgency of the now. A statement from Dr. King. As a born again and Holy Ghost driven Christian, it is not enough for me to simply sit by and watch the fruit dying on the vine. It is not enough for me to see a good fight and not in some way get in it. I did not receive the Holy Ghost to just go through the motions, but instead that power was given to me to be a catalyst to bring about change. Will you be that person, my brothers and sisters, that God can use? in These days and times when we look out and we see so many ills happening all around us, Certainly we go to church and we get, I guess, depending on what denomination uh, you go to, you may say you had a good service, the preacher preached well, uh, you may hoop and holler, uh, you may shout, you may run around the church as some of us do. But God says, I'm going to endue you with power. I'm going to give you power. When the Holy Ghost comes, he's going to enable you. The question that I ask, as I've asked a whole lot of questions on the onset of this, this podcast, power to do what?